Uh, Let's turn for our reading in the Word of God, the Gospel according to Luke. Luke 1, and we're reading from verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine in those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. The Israelites, as a people, had a very powerful messianic hope. They were well known for that, and that underlay a very strong nationalistic outlook, one of the reasons why they were such a difficult people for their Roman overlords in New Testament days. Messianic hope that had been nurtured for centuries through the ministry of the prophets that God had sent. And so much of the Old Testament prophet was looking to the Messiah. Indeed, you haven't understood the Old Testament properly unless you see the Messiah there. After Malachi, the last... Uh, and the latest of the Old Testament prophets, not just at his book, 
comes at the end of the Old Testament, but he was the, uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and he was writing about the, uh, the middle of the 5th century uh, BC. The voice of prophecy fell silent. Century after century passed. No new word from the Lord. And still the Israelites were looking for the Messiah. What would he be like? What exactly would he do? Of course, especially uh, as Judea came uh, under the heel of the Romans. Uh, That messianic hope particularly took the form of hopes for political liberation from these pagan overlords. And there were various liberation movements uh, among the Jews seeking that kind of freedom. Their hope would be when Messiah would come, he would lead an army and drive the Romans into the Mediterranean. While the voice of prophecy was silent, God was not inactive. He was still working out his purpose. In Malachi 4 and verse 5, almost the last thing that the Lord said through the Old Testament prophets, the Lord said, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Not a a reincarnation of Elijah, but one who would come in the spirit of Elijah and exercise a ministry like that of Elijah. And this figure would be the forerunner of the Messiah. It was there in the scriptures, I will send you the prophet Elijah. And when John, the son of Zechariah, is born, the voice of prophecy begins to be heard again. Again, God is speaking to his people. We are moving into the days of fulfillment. The Old Testament scriptures, including the prophets, were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. And now as we enter the New Testament, as John is born in particular, the days of fulfillment are dawning. And the voice of prophecy again is heard. But now we move on to the latter part of Luke chapter 1, and we're looking today at verses 57 to 80. A prophet of the Most High. A prophet of the Most High. And there are two things that we see in this portion of the Word of God. First of all, we consider the birth of John. The birth of John. God's promise through the angel back in verse 13 is now fulfilled. Elizabeth gave birth to a son. God's word never fails. And it did not fail in this case. God had said through his messenger, the appropriate time comes to pass. The promise is kept. And it's all set in a very strong awareness of God's hand in these events. 
This is all profoundly God-centered. You don't find Mary or Elizabeth, Zechariah, saying how wonderful I am and how fortunate I am. All the focus is on the Lord. And so, verse 58, the whole community, we're told, heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. The Lord had shown her great mercy. And the Lord's mercy is a key theme uh, in this chapter. It comes up a number of times. We saw it in Mary's song, where God is said to be merciful, uh, back in verse uh, 54. And again, it's God's mercy that stands out here uh, at the forefront. God's mercy. He is a merciful God. That's not the caricature in the minds of many people. To many, God's a God uh, who's very quick to strike down sinners and who enjoys judgment. Yet here, again and again, we are reminded he is merciful, not denying his holiness or the reality of judgment at all, but God is merciful. And that's true whether it's on the individual scale, the particular believer, or on the big scale, the whole plan of salvation that's fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a God of mercy. And the word mercy brings uh, to the forefront the idea of hardship and misery. The misery of sinners. The, The misery and the hardship that sin brings into people's lives. And it's that misery that's addressed by the mercy of God. God sees the misery that sin brings and how lives are twisted and destroyed. He is a God who shows mercy. Mercy, yes, to those in all kinds of hardships, but above all, of course, mercy to those experiencing the misery of sin. God has shown great mercy to Elizabeth. Mercy in bringing her safely through the dangers of childbirth. And in the ancient world in particular, with medicine at the point it was, childbirth was an incredibly dangerous time. And maternal and infant mortality rates were very high. And so for a birth to take place safely was a cause for thanksgiving. It still is, but the realities were so much more uh, powerful in those days. But not only that John is born, but God's been merciful, particularly because of the role that this son will play, a significant role in the unfolding of the plan of salvation. Uh, And Elizabeth Zechariah and the whole community are conscious something special is happening here. The naming of the child puts a spotlight on uh, Zechariah. Elizabeth has been told the angel's message way back in verse 13, you are to give him the name John. There was no doubt from the outset what was to be done. And obedience to that word, we're told, 
she says, he is to be called John, verse 60. But that's setting aside family expectations. You can almost hear the sharp intake of breath. People, John, but, but nobody in the family is called John. What's she talking about? What, what ideas has this woman got? And she's only the mother, so we've got to ask the father what the name is going to be. And they make their appeal to Zechariah. Did you notice you can skip over this very easily, verse 62, but they made signs to Zechariah. I think it strongly suggests not only was Zechariah struck dumb by the Lord, he was deaf as well. But if he could hear, why would they make signs to him? So there's the man for nine months, uh, hasn't been able to speak, uh, and it seems has been deaf, closed in by the hand of God. And the silence, of course, imposed, uh, as we read back in verse 20, because you did not believe my words, God says. And so he's been given time to think, and no doubt he has. He's been chastened by the hard experience of the last nine months. As the Lord often allows hard experiences to come into the lives of his people, all kinds of hard experiences that God allows to achieve a spiritual purpose. They're not random uh, and they're not cruel. God's not some kind of masochist sitting in heaven enjoying seeing people wriggle. The hardships come for a purpose. For Zechariah, he's chastened. His unbelief has been addressed. And now he's seen the fulfillment of the Lord's word. John is born. And what Zechariah couldn't believe nine months plus earlier, he sees it now fulfilled. Couldn't be any clearer. His lack of faith has been rebuked in the most direct way. And now with renewed faith, because he was a man of faith, despite his feelings, with renewed faith he responds to the Lord's command regarding the child's name. He responds, of course, in obedience. His name is John, verse 63. And it's emphatic. There's no debate. Not, I think his name is John. I would like his name to be John. His name is John. Indeed, the way it's put in the original, John comes first to make it emphatic. John is his name. And there's no argument. This is God's command. And Zechariah happily embraces God's work and God's promise in faith. John is his name. Zechariah, through the hard days, the days no doubt when he thought long about what he had done and what he'd failed to do. John, uh, Zechariah is at that point where he understands this is God's work and God's will. John is his name. The Lord responds graciously. Zechariah's faith is renewed and now the Lord responds. Immediately his mouth was opened. 
verse 64. He can speak. He can hear. He's restored by the Lord. The chastening's at an end. He's been brought to the point that the Lord desired. His mouth is opened. And what's he going to say? Nine months of silence. What would be the first thing you would say? And isn't it so significant that the first act of Zechariah, now that he can speak once again, he began to speak praising God. It's God who fills his mind. There's not any sense of resentment at what he's gone through, the hardships, complaint. His faith is renewed. He sees the fulfillment of God's promise and he praises God. The Lord is at the very front of his thoughts at this point. Rightly so. Zechariah has been brought through the trial to a place of blessing. And isn't that often the pattern that's repeated in the lives of his people in our lives? That he brings us through times of hardship and testing and difficulty. Not at random, not in a purposeless way, but he brings us through the trials to a place of blessing that we wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Often, of course, it's looking back that makes it clear to us how God has worked. Sometimes the Lord does things in our lives that we have no understanding of at this point. Sometimes we'll not know till we're in glory, if even then. But there are many other experiences that the Lord brings us through, and we can say with hindsight, this is what, or this is part of what the Lord was doing in bringing me to a place of blessing. No doubt many of you can see something of that in the Lord's providence in your own lives. And a deep impression is made on the family, on the the neighbors, and the whole community. We read in verse 65, fear came on all their neighbors. Uh, A good fear. There's a, a trembling fear that's a bad fear before God. And compared to a slave with a bad master, that's not the sort of fear. It's a godly fear that is awe, as the NIV translates, a spiritual awe. They're in the presence of God's working. And that has an impact on people. As put in verse uh, 66, better makes it clearer than the NIV, all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. It's the same phrase as used of Mary. She laid these things up in her heart later on. And people were laying things up in their hearts. They were given plenty to think about. They'd go away and they'd talk about it and ponder it. Talk about it in the market and wherever people got together. And they, they, they wonder, what is God doing through this child? Look at the circumstances of his birth. Very significant phrase, verse 66, the Lord's hand was with him. 
And that is crucial. John has a vital ministry to perform. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, as the Lord said back in verse 15. Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. It's very striking. From his earliest days, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. What that looked like, we might try to imagine, but what we do know is he was equipped fully to do the work the Lord was giving him. Here is the forerunner of the Messiah. And from his earliest days, he's being equipped and prepared by God to do a great work now in the days of fulfillment. Birth of John, the testimony that was born to this remarkable child. And people wonder, what, what's he going to do? What's going to become of this, this child? The birth of John. The second thing we see in the passage is the song of Zechariah. That occupies the rest of the chapter, the Song of Zechariah. The explanation of events is provided by the Lord. Verse 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Yet God is speaking to his people after the centuries of silence through Mary and that spirit-given song that we looked at last week, through Zechariah, and he prophesied. We generally call these songs, we're not suggesting necessarily they were sung, but they're certainly poetic. Not wrong to call it a, a song. But as you look at it again, do you see that the focus of it is on, as it's put, the Lord, the God of Israel. That's what Zechariah is thinking of above all at this point. The Lord, the God of Israel. Unusual, isn't it, that John, the, the, the one who's just been born, the one you would think will be in all of Zechariah's thoughts, John isn't mentioned until verse 76. Not quite tagged on at the end, but it's God the Lord who fills the mind of Zechariah. This is God's work. He is a part of it. He sees God working, and his delight is in the Lord. And several things about the Lord that he mentions. Things that we ought always to be remembering and thinking about ourselves. First of all, the Lord redeems. The Lord redeems. Verse 68, he has come and has redeemed his people. And the language of redeeming is the language of release from bondage. As a ransom is paid, a captive is released. It was common enough with prisoners of war, for example, in those days. It's the language of release from bondage. God releases prisoners from bondage. The reference there to the house of his servant David underlines it as clearly as possible. This is messianic. What the Lord does in redeeming, he does through the Messiah. And go back to a psalm like Psalm 132, 
Verse 17, God says, I will make a horn grow for David. Surely that's in Zechariah's mind there in verse 69, horn of salvation. This man knew his Bible. He knew his Psalms. So those words come to him as the Spirit works and gives him this song. It's the Messiah that he's speaking about. Redemption, freedom from bondage, And it is not a political liberation as many of the Jews were hoping for and the zealots and all the the violent extremists among them to drive the Romans and their collaborators out. It's not a political liberation. And that will disappoint many of the Jews when they understand that. It's a spiritual salvation. Because the goal of redemption is spelled out for us to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. That's the goal of Messiah's redeeming work. To serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness. Christ sets sinners free from bondage to sin transforms us into his likeness. We become holy and righteous as Jesus is. Redemption's a a wonderful Bible word. 1 Peter 1, 19. We are redeemed, Peter writes, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God the Lord redeems. He sets sinners like you and me free from the bondage of sin because Christ has paid the price for us. The Lord redeems. Secondly, the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers because the work of the Messiah is set in the context of the unfolding of God's eternal plan of salvation. This is the big picture. This is the biggest picture, the work of salvation that God has planned from eternity. So verse 70, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. And as God kept the promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. So on the big scale, he keeps the promise of a Messiah coming and redeeming and delivering sinners. However long it takes, they might have to wait centuries, but he'll keep his word. Because you see, when God remembers, when you read in the Bible about God remembering, it's saying far more than God recalls facts. When we remember, if we do, we're remembering information, we're recalling facts. But when God remembers, it's telling us he's going to do something about what he remembers. It's a prelude to action. When God remembers, he is about to do something. 
when God remembers in the context of salvation, he's going to do something. And it's covenantal. The theme of covenant, as we've seen again and again, keeps surfacing in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And so here, to remember his holy covenant. And if God's remembering his covenant, he is not simply recalling once upon a time he made a covenant. He is going to act to keep the covenant and to bring it to fulfillment. And Zechariah, good theologian, man who knows his Bible, goes back there to the covenant with our father Abraham. You can read about it in Genesis 17. We've looked at it in the past as we worked through the book of Genesis. God's covenant reaffirmed one generation after another. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, right down to this day. As Messiah is almost here. God remembers his covenant. He is going to keep his promise. And what is the basic covenant promise? We've repeated it many times. We'll keep repeating it. Leviticus 26 and 12. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. That's a covenant. All sorts of theological issues, and it can become very complicated and seem difficult, but it isn't. That's the covenant. I'll walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. That's the bond, the bond of love that the Lord establishes between himself and his people. He rescues them. People who are lost, sinners like you and me, he rescues us, and he rescues us in order to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. And it's the work of Christ as he dies and rises again that establishes that covenant. Because he shed his blood, it's because he paid the price for our redemption that this covenant exists, the covenant that saved Abraham, the covenant that will save any sinner who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus at the Last Supper, the record in Luke 22, 20, took the cup, the wine symbolizing his blood, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And that's what he meant. That the blood he would shed on the cross would purchase sinners, redeem them, and bring them into the family of God, into the covenant of grace. It's all because of Messiah Jesus. The Lord redeems The Lord remembers. And finally, the Lord reveals. The Lord reveals. At last, 
you might say. Verse 76, John comes into view. So far it has all been the Lord, but now we come to John. His father turns his attention to John. And he sums up the mission that God is giving this child. Remember, John's eight days old, tiny baby. But great words that Zechariah uses under the inspiration of the Spirit for what this baby will become and what he will do. You will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And that's John's mission, to prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah. He is the forerunner of the Messiah. And of course, in the background, clearly, is Isaiah 40. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what John will be doing. That's what he will be preaching. He'll be a channel of God's revelation. Not pointing to himself. Not portraying himself to people as the important one. But pointing always away from himself to the Messiah. That's what John means in John 1.8. He came only as a witness to the light. John isn't the light And he knows that, and he's no pretensions to be the light, to be the Messiah. Of course, people were wondering, could he be? And when he had opportunity, he emphasized, I'm not. I am not the light. I am not the one you're looking for. And he'd point away to the Messiah. But that's his role, and he understands it. It's Christ who is being revealed through John's ministry. It is Christ who is the light. Still in his mother Mary's womb at this point, soon to be born into the world, he's the light. He is the rising sun that Zechariah refers to at the very end of his song. Messiah Jesus is the rising sun who will shine on those living in darkness. And again, that's full of Old Testament images and language. Imagine the light of a man like Zechariah, who knows his Bible, who knows the prophecies, and he understands they're being fulfilled. They're about to come to fruition. And his son John will prepare the way for the Messiah and will point sinners to the light to the rising sun, the Savior that John will consistently exalt. Prophet of the Most High, not pointing to himself, but pointing to the Messiah, in whom the Lord is fulfilling his word. The Lord redeems. He will buy sinners out of bondage to sin, vast multitude of them. The Lord remembers, he remembers his covenant established through generations and now brought to its perfection. And the Lord reveals through John the forerunner, 
the Messiah will be revealed. John will literally on occasion point to him. There he is. As clear as can be. And the Lord's great plan of salvation is being brought to a glorious fulfillment that saves sinners like Mary, as we saw last week, God my Savior, and Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, and sinners like us if we put our trust in this Messiah, this Savior, to be redeemed by the blood of Christ is a glorious thing.